What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Wow, there is so much in the news today. First of all, you got Trump endorsing treason. We'll get to that in just a minute. But I think the biggest news, and time will tell. Last month, there were four attacks on tankers in the Straits of Hormuz. About a third of the world's oil comes out of this one region. And there's this little kind of isthmus that sticks up that creates this, what's called the Straits of Hormuz. It's just a very narrow area. It's like, you know, going through a little tiny river between two giant oceans. And tankers going through there are vulnerable to small boats, all kinds of stuff. And there were four attacks last month. There were two today. Let me put this in context. Number one, Shinzo Abe, the prime minister of Japan, met with Donald Trump just, you know, a few weeks ago. And Trump came over for the whole, you know, investiture ceremony for the new emperor to watch a sumo match because, you know, he's into worldwide wrestling. And, And Abe is trying to, you know, Japan relies on Iranian oil, among other things. And if Iranian oil is all together cut off, countries that have literally have no oil like Japan are in deep trouble or at least, you know, their expenses go up dramatically. And so he's trying to get Trump to work something out with Iran. And, you know, apparently Trump said, okay, cool, you know, you work something out and maybe I'll join. I don't know. We'll see. You know, obviously what Trump wants is a deal that doesn't have Obama's name on it, that has his name on it. But in any case, Shinzo Abe goes to Iran to sit down and negotiate with the Iranians on behalf of the United States and, you know, presumably the other European countries. I mean, you know, Japan is part of this international alliance of actual liberal democracies, progressive democracies developed nations. And so these two tankers get blown up. And the reports I heard on BBC News as I was walking into work this morning, I haven't seen this repeated in the American news, but this is what the British press is reporting, the BBC was reporting, is that both tankers were carrying Iranian oil products. They probably were refined someplace other than Iran because of the embargo and all that. One is naphtha or uh, methanol think and the other was another compound. So these are refined oil products, but carrying Iranian oil products to Japan. So who would do that? Right? It certainly wouldn't be Iran. Although John Bolton has come out and said, oh yeah, this has Iran's fingerprints all over it. 
or words to that effect. Iran was almost certainly involved. That's what Bolton said. Yeah, sure. They're blowing up their own ships while they're trying to negotiate with Shinzo Abe. Give me a break. I mean, this is how weird and sick and twisted John Bolton is. But who has an interest in blowing up these talks? In particular, I think it would be Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia right now is fighting a proxy war with Iran in Yemen. The Houthi rebels, they're Shia Muslims, as is Iran. The Shia and the Sunnis don't like each other, to say the very least. Saudi Arabia is the principal proponent of and exporter of radical Sunni Islam to the world. They fund mosques all over the world that preach the kind of stuff that Osama bin Laden, a Saudi Wahhabist, believed. And so they're promoting this hard right version of Sunni Islam. And the Iranians are, frankly, promoting a hard right version of Shia Islam. And they're having this proxy war now in Yemen, which is killing civilians like crazy. The United States government, Congress, both the House and the Senate, both Democrats and Republicans, passed a law saying no more money is going to go to Saudi Arabia for the purposes of buying our weapons because they're using them to kill children in Yemen. You've got hundreds of thousands of people in Yemen starving right now. There's a famine going on there as a result of the Saudis and this war. I mean, this is serious and grim stuff that's going on. And my concern is that this is how World War I started. The way that World War I started, Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated in Sarajevo. The Austro-Hungarian Empire took that as an assault. And all these countries in Europe had these interlocking defense agreements. If you're attacked, then we're attacked. And boom, we just like, the whole world just exploded into World War I, a complete mess. What happens here? Is this the beginning of World War I? So number one, I wanted to point that out. And meanwhile, Mark Sumner, who is just one of the great minds, this guy writes for Daily Kos and he's brilliant. And the headline says it all. Trump explains why selling out the country is totally okay with extra special lies on top. And he points out that Trump is basically saying, I mean, he just put up a big sign saying the White House is here for sale. Help us out. Send us some dirt on our opponents. Do some hacking, whatever you can find. Make some stuff up. Get a bot factory to start flooding Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And what is Mitch McConnell's response to this? This is nuts. He, Mitch McConnell is refusing to allow the Senate to proceed on several election security bills that could secure this country. First of all, there is the Secure Elections Act, which is sponsored by Senator James Lankford. He's a Republican from Oklahoma. And Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota, the Democrat, that would toughen voting systems by enabling federal intelligence services and state election officials to more easily share cyber information. In other words, let's cooperate with our allies to find out who is hacking our elections. We don't want another president who was put there by a foreign government. Five states right now, Delaware, Georgia, Louisiana, New Jersey, and South Carolina, don't even, they can't even audit their own election results because they're using these ancient Windows-based voting machines. There's another piece of legislation before the Senate, again sponsored by both Republicans and Democrats, that would make it a crime to hack voting systems. I didn't know it wasn't a crime. But Roy Blunt of Missouri, the senior Republican in the Senate, says passage is unlikely. The Election Security Act, sponsored by Democrats in the House and Senate, would make a billion dollars in grants available and mandate other safeguards. This is money that would help states secure their elections. 
But apparently Mitch McConnell thinks it's a great thing that foreign countries can hack our election infrastructure because they tend to want to elect Republicans because Republicans will, you know, commit treason on their behalf, give them what they want. McConnell is refusing to have any of these pieces of legislation come up for a vote. Trump just came right out and said, yep, the White House is for sale. Russia, China, North Korea, Saudi Arabia, Israel. Pick your country that has a leader who is a hard right leader who has tried to completely you know, embrace Donald Trump. The Philippines, you know, Brazil, pick your country. Any one of them now might be bringing us our next president. This is mind boggling. Is it time to initiate impeachment proceedings? <laughs> you know, yeah. Does a bear go in the woods? Right. Kerry Elveld over at Daily Kos noting that basically what Donald Trump did yesterday in his conversation with George Stephanopoulos was put a price tag on the White House. Essentially what he said was any foreign country, if you want to help me out, I'll help you out. No problem. We can make this happen. You know, if it's Russia, we'll lift sanctions on you or we'll do what we can to help sanctions. You know, he got the sanctions on Deripaska lifted and now Deripaska is building an aluminum factory in Kentucky to help Mitch McConnell get reelected. So, you know, apparently this isn't just Trump. This is McConnell as well, willing to take support from foreigners, although Deripaska arguably is not the Russian government. Or it could be the Israeli government, or it could be the Saudi government, or it could be the Chinese government, or it could be the North Korean government. Hey, you know, they've got some very good hackers there. Hey, look at what we just discovered about, you know, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or, you know, fill in the blanks, Joe Biden. This is just so wrong. The law is very clear. It is against the law for any political campaign to take anything of value from a foreign power or I believe from even a foreign citizen. Now, I may be wrong on the second part there, but I know that it's illegal to take it from a foreign power, which is exactly what Trump did in order to get elected in 2016. He took assistance from, apparently, the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Israel, and Russia. Russia played the largest and most high-profile role, the one that Mueller was focused on, but now we know that there were at least five, probably six countries altogether that were operating to support the Trump presidency. I mean, talk about the Manchurian candidate. We've got a guy in the White House who was put there by a foreign power. And he just came out and said, hey, that's cool with me. Do it again. And he will pay them off. It's an open invitation to bribery. I mean, this is just insane. And then on top of this, Mitch McConnell is blocking any legislative attempts to stop this. I think this is treason. I really do. You can impeach a president for treason. If not treason, it's some variation on it. I mean, high crimes, as mentioned in the impeachment clause in the Constitution, that does not refer to a specific law that you have violated. It means crimes against democracy, crimes against the republic. It means the violation of the norms and the basic civilized rules of society. High crimes is not mentioned anywhere else in any legislation, anywhere else in the Constitution. Why? Because they wanted it to be broad enough that if a president was out of control, Congress could do something about it. They could remove that president from office. And boy, if there was ever a time, here we are.
Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do. Ellen Ratner's new book on the line with us is Bob Nay, author of Sideswiped, former congressman from Ohio. Congressman, welcome back. You lived in Iran. You worked in Iran. You speak Farsi. You were the only member of Congress who really understood Iran and spoke the language. Now we're seeing these two tankers burning off the coast. Last month, there were four tankers that were attacked. My understanding is that these tankers are carrying refined Iranian oil products to possibly Japan at the same time that Shinzo Abe, the prime minister of Japan, is in Iran trying to negotiate uh, apparently on behalf of the United States to bring us back into this deal. Maybe if we can put Donald Trump's name on it, he'll sign on to some kind of deal. Do I have all that right, Bob? And what's your take on this stuff? You're much more of an expert than me. Well, you're 100% right, Tom. And here's what I think is the bottom line of it. And I'm going to throw out a little bit of conspiracy theory, if I may, with your permission on this one. Go for it. The point is this. We had a couple of explosions previously with Saudi tankers, which I said at that time, it could be the Saudis doing it themselves. After all, the people that verified that this was probably an Iranian hit are the Saudis who chopped a reporter to pieces while he was alive and then denied they did it. So who's to believe them? Now we have strikes on two tankers, and the one, of course, as you pointed out, the prime minister was in Tehran to try to have talks start between Iran and America because the president canceled, of course, as we know, the Iran nuclear deal, and on top of it, he allowed his national security advisor, John Bolton, to literally bring us to the brink of war with warships and troops and everything else under the sun staged and ready. Then when Trump realized the Iranians weren't going to talk, then he started to try to find a way to back off, including saying, I'll talk with them with no preset conditions, leading to the ally of ours, of course, Japan, with the highest level visit, talking about this. Now, right in the midst of all of this, of the, the prime minister saying, why don't both of you, the, America and Iran, talk, then their Japanese ship gets hit. And I, I, I'm going to speculate here, it could have been a wide variety. It could have been some rogue element in Iran that doesn't want America and Iran to speak. But one thing I can tell you is it is not the Iranian government. Right. Because all of a sudden, the United Arab Emirates, Tom, and Saudi Arabia, what do they come out with? Well, it was state-sponsored. And the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia, of course, are after Iran because Saudi Arabia's got a proxy war going in Yemen, and they just got funding, as we know, from the Trump administration based on an emergency. Right, over the objections of Congress, in violation of a law that was passed. Right. Correct. And Republicans, Lindsey Graham, et cetera, you know, high-profile Republicans. So they did it over that objection. And, of course, you have the son-in-law. We talked about that on your show yesterday. All wrapped up Jared Kushner with the Mideast and Mohammed bin Salman businesses, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot here at stake, and the Saudis pull the strings. Number two, this could have actually been a hit, potentially, paid for by the Saudis. They paid a third party to go make a hit. And let me tell you my conspiracy theory here. Oil futures jumped. I mean, people making money, manipulating the oil futures, manipulating world oil, they were so happy over this because futures jumped. So if I've got a big investment and I want to go hire somebody to do some type of, quote, act of terrorism, guess who makes money? So I'm going to throw that in there. So the Saudis benefited from this. Absolutely. And people who make money, oil futures, again, they jumped. They've been low. They've been low, so they jumped. 
So as far as trying to blame this on the Iranians, it may be, again, maybe a rogue element, but this all still smacks of this powder keg over there. And I can tell you right now, our European allies are begging and stressing for calm between the United States and Iran itself because right. they are so worried that something's going to happen. I drew the comparison to World War One, where all these countries had these interlocking mutual defense agreements. Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated. Everybody thought it was no big deal in Sarajevo. The Austro-Hungarian Empire thought it was a big deal and started invoking these treaties, and boom, we were in World War I. Is it possible that this conflict, if we have open conflict between Saudi Arabia and Iran in the Gulf, could lead to a world war? Oh, absolutely. I am thoroughly convinced, as others who analyze the situation and have analyzed it for the past quarter of a century, are convinced that John Bolton achieved success for the first time in decades to actually get this right to the powder keg stage. He was able to do that, moving warships, making threats, meeting with the Mojahedin cult, the MEK, which he was paid to meet with them. And now we find out in an article the other day that they have been doing a lot of fake news, putting out information over Twitter all fake names to try to promote war. And that's what this is about. The war machine utilizes John Bolton, the Cheney types. You know, Bolton is a leftover from those days, obviously. And he is very influential as National Security Advisor. He got us right to the brink. Yes, it's very possible. Amazing. This is something we need to pay. We're being manipulated by Saudi Arabia. I absolutely agree. And people should be calling 202-225-3121 and asking for their member of Congress and the Senate and saying, hey, you know, let's actually enforce that law. This is Saudi Arabia. Can't get those weapons. Bob Benet. Thank you so much, Bob. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. You know, writing books... Uh, you know, I'm on book tour right now, or uh, actually I'm back home for a couple of days, but <laughs> I'll be back on the road again. Writing books is something that, you know, people, oh, I want to write a book, you know. Well, let me tell you something about writing books. You sit there for three or four hours in front of your computer, and it used to be, I mean, I remember when it was, you know, dedicated word processing, and before that, typewriters, and, you know, my, my, my old mechanical typewriter, um, you know, back in the 60s. But you sit there in front of a typewriter for a couple of hours and your back starts to hurt. I don't care if you've been injured like, you know, I injured my back skydiving back in, when I was 20. Uh, or if you've never had a back injury, uh, you know, writing can really do it to you. And I've discovered recently the powerful health benefits and pain relieving benefits of CBD oil. And I've been using New Leaf Naturals CBD oil and I love it. CBD oil is non-intoxicating. It does not get you high, which makes it ideal for people seeking the health benefits of cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of medical marijuana. CBD is non-toxic, has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. And the brand that I trust the most, and Louise uses it too, is New Leaf Naturals. It's NU Leaf. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It is a 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, grown right here in the United States, and the only ingredient is hemp, so the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com, that's n-u-leafnaturals.com, and save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM. That's spelled T-H-O-M. So go to n-u-leafnaturals.com and check it out. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's really only one place, newleafnaturals.com. 
and use that code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get you 30% off and free shipping. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's the Mueller Report. This is page 88. They're talking about George Papadopoulos. Following the meeting, Mifsud traveled as planned to Moscow. On April 18, 2016, while in Russia, Mifsud introduced Papadopoulos over email to Ivan Timofeev, a member of the Russian International Affairs Council, the RIAC. Mifsud had described Timofeev as having connections with the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the MFA, the executive entity in Russia responsible for Russian foreign relations. Over the next several weeks, Papadopoulos and Timofeev had multiple conversations over Skype and email about setting the groundwork for a potential meeting between the Trump campaign and Russian government officials. Papadopoulos told the office that on one Skype call, he believed that his conversation with Timofeev was being monitored or supervised by an unknown third party because Timofeev spoke in an official manner and Papadopoulos heard odd noises on the line. Timofeev also told Papadopoulos in an April 25, 2016 email that he had just spoken to, quote, Igor Ivanov, the president of RIAC and former foreign minister of Russia, and conveyed Ivanov's advice about how best to arrange a Moscow visit. After a stop in Rome, Mifsud returned to England on April 25, 2016. The next day, Papadopoulos met Mifsud for breakfast at the Andaz Hotel, the same location as their last meeting, page 89. During that meeting, Mifsud told Papadopoulos that he had met with high-level Russian government officials during his recent trip to Moscow. Mifsud also said that on the trip, he learned that the Russians had obtained dirt on candidate Hillary Clinton. As Papadopoulos later stated to the FBI, F. Mifsud said that the dirt was in the form of emails of Clinton and that they have, quote, thousands of emails. On May 6, 2016, 10 days after the meeting with Mifsud, Papadopoulos suggested to a representative of a foreign government that the Trump campaign had received indications from the Russian government that it could assist the campaign, the Trump campaign, through the anonymous release of information that would be damaging to Hillary Clinton. E, Russian-related communications with the campaign. While he was discussing with his foreign contacts a potential meeting of campaign officials with Russian government officials, Papadopoulos kept campaign officials apprised of his efforts. On April 25, 2016, the day before Mifsud told Papadopoulos about the emails, Papadopoulos wrote to senior policy advisor Stephen Miller that, quote, the Russian government has an open invitation by Putin for Mr. Trump to meet with him when he is ready, and that the advantage of being in London is that these governments tend to speak a bit more openly in neutral cities, end quote. On April 27, 2016, after his meeting with Mifsud, Papadopoulos wrote a second message to Stephen Miller stating that, quote, some interesting messages were coming in from Moscow about a trip when the time is right, end quote. The same day, Papadopoulos sent a similar email to campaign manager Corey Lewandowski, telling Lewandowski that Papadopoulos had, quote, been receiving a lot of calls over the last month about Putin wanting to host Trump and the team when the time is right, end quote. Papadopoulos's Russia-related communications with campaign officials continued through the spring and summer of 2016. On May 4, 2016, he forwarded to Lewandowski an email from Timofeev raising the possibility of a meeting in Moscow, asking Lewandowski whether that was something we want to move forward with. The next day, Papadopoulos forwarded the same Timofeev email to Sam Clovis, adding to the top of the email, Russian update. He included the same email in a May 21, 2016 message to senior campaign official Paul Manafort under the subject line, Request from Russia to Meet Mr. Trump, stating that, quote, Russia has been eager to meet Mr. Trump for quite some time and have been reaching out to me to discuss, end quote. Page 90. Manafort forwarded the message to another campaign official without including Papadopoulos and stated, Let's discuss. 
We need someone to communicate that Trump is not doing these trips. It should be someone low-level in the campaign so as not to send any signal. On June 1st, 2016, Papadopoulos replied to an earlier email chain with Lewandowski about a Russia visit, asking if Lewandowski, quote, wanted to have a call about this topic and whether we were following up with it. After Lewandowski told Papadopoulos to connect with Clovis because he was running point, Papadopoulos emailed Clovis that the Russian MFA was asking him if Trump is interested in visiting Russia at some point. Papadopoulos wrote in an email that he wanted to pass this info along to you for you to decide what's best to do with it and what message I should send or to ignore, end quote. After several email and Skype exchanges with Timofeev, Papadopoulos sent one more email to Lewandowski on June 19, 2016, Lewandowski's last day as campaign manager. The email stated that, quote, the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs had contacted him, end quote, asking whether Mr. Trump could not travel to Russia. A campaign representative such as Papadopoulos could attend meetings. Papadopoulos told Lewandowski he was, quote, willing to make the trip off the record if it's in the interest of Mr. Trump and the campaign to meet specific people. Following Lewandowski's departure from the campaign, Papadopoulos communicated with Clovis and Waleed Fares, another member of the foreign policy advisory team, about an off-the-record meeting between the campaign and Russian government officials or with Papadopoulos's other Russia connections, Mifsud and Timofeev. Papadopoulos also interacted directly with Clovis and Fares in connection with the summit of the Transatlantic Parliamentary Group on Counterterrorism, TAG, or TAG, a group for which Fares was co-secretary general. On July 16, 2016, Papadopoulos attended the TAG summit in Washington, D.C., where he sat next to Clovis, as reflected in the photograph below. It's the Mueller Report. Tom Harbin here with you. Okay, we've got Jared Kushner taking $90 million. Now, just think for a minute how much money $90 million is. If somebody came to you and said, hey, Here's $90 million. Put it in your savings account. How would that change your life? So Jared Kushner has taken, since he's been in the White House, has taken $90 million through a Cayman Islands group. We don't know which foreign government this is or which foreign person. We have no idea. But, you know, here it is. $90 million bucks. And then on top of that, Jared Kushner went over to the Middle East to beg for a billion dollars because he made this stupid purchase at 666 Fifth Avenue. After his father went to prison, one of his mentors, uh, the New Yorker, I believe it was, maybe Vanity Fair, did a, just a remarkable deep dive into this. Maybe, I don't know, a year ago or thereabouts. We talked about it on this program, so I'm doing this from memory here. But basically what they pointed out was that this mentor of Jared Kushner said, and this was a few years back, maybe eight, ten years back, after his dad went to jail. And this person said, you know, you need to rehabilitate the family name. You need to rehabilitate your own image because your father was a con man and a grifter, and he's now in prison for it. But you have inherited the family company, so you've got to do something. So here are the suggestions. Number one, buy a high-profile office building in New York so you can start having high visibility. Number two, Buy a newspaper in New York so you can start seeding favorable stories about yourself and your business. And number three, marry a high-profile, wealthy woman who will, who will look good on your arm, basically. And Kushner then followed that advice. He bought 666 Fifth Avenue. He bought, I believe it's called the New York Observer. He bought a newspaper in New York. He still owns it, as far as I know. And he married Ivanka Trump. 
all three of these things as a way of rehabilitating his image. And if you saw that interview with him with Axios on HBO, it was shocking what a just cold-blooded man this guy is. No affect, no emotion, sitting there talking like, you know, hey, I'm a billionaire and you're not. You know, how dare you ask me questions and things like that. So you got Kushner. And then you've got Trump. Trump coming out now saying, yeah, foreign governments helping out? No problem. Well, you know, we used to call this treason. Back when, when John Adams and Thomas Jefferson were running against each other in the election of 1800, one of Adams' big attacks on Jefferson was that Jefferson had spent four years, I believe it was, in France as the U.S. envoy to Paris, spoke fluent French since he was a teenager, and had affection for the French. And, and of course, uh, there were people who were attacking John Adams because before the Revolutionary War, he had defended a British soldier who had killed several Americans. So, I mean, you know, we have a long history of saying this is not a good thing. Hakeem Jeffries, the Democrat from New York, he's the chair of the House Democratic Caucus, the, into all the Democrats. He says it is a shocking statement, accepting assistance from a hostile foreign power like Russia. It is treasonous behavior. Trump says all the members of Congress do it. No, all the members of Congress don't do it. In fact, to the best of my knowledge, none of the members of Congress do this. Although apparently Mitch McConnell is, is just fine with this. You know, hey, uh, uh, you know, Russian oligarchs, please build aluminum factories in Kentucky so I can get reelected. And that's actually what's going on right now. Donald Trump has basically said in his interview with Stephanopoulos, and this is a guy who has, keep in mind, no morals. He's a hustler. He's a grifter. He's a con man. And now, I mean, he's even stiffing police departments. This from the Center for Public Integrity. When the Lebanon City Hall sent Trump's campaign a $16,000 invoice for police and other public safety costs associated with his campaign event, Trump didn't respond. Trump's campaign likewise ignored Lebanon officials' follow-up reminders to cover the sum, one rich enough to fund the entire police force for nearly two days in this modest city of 21000 between Dayton and Cincinnati. At least nine other city governments are still waiting for Trump to pay public safety-related invoices that they've sent his presidential campaign a grifter and a con man and he has just put the white house up for sale he has said hey china help me out i'll help you out hey saudi arabia help me out I'll help. hey north korea kim you know you got great hackers get into joe biden's accounts get into bernie and elizabeth's accounts tell me what's going on i'll help you out you're listening to the tom hartman program and what's mitch mcconnell's response the house has passed legislation to block and ban this and increase our election security and mcconnell refuses to bring it up in the senate john hartman here with you just a quick heads up i'm on book tour this month i was in dc and la we did portland last night it was a great event and thank you so much if you're listening and you're one of the people who showed up it was so nice to meet so many great people I will be in Los Angeles on Saturday, June 22nd, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This is part of the KPFK Speaker Series. Stephanie Miller is going to join me. I'm going to be talking about the hidden history of guns in the Second Amendment. The details for all of this stuff, by the way, are at TomHartman.com with links to where you can sign up or get tickets and things like that. That's June 22nd, Saturday. On Sunday, June 23rd, the next day, I'll be in Seattle at 7.30 at Town Hall with the Elliott Bay Book Company uh, supplying books. Now, initially, they had booked a smaller room that held, I think, 250 people, and it sold out very, very quickly. And so a lot of people called and, and were told, sorry, it's already sold out. 
But fact of the matter is that they then, once that sold out, they said, oh, well, let's book the larger hall that'll hold 1,400 people. I think they've sold about 1,000 tickets there, but there's still a couple hundred tickets available. So for Seattle, that's June 23rd at 7.30 p.m. On Tuesday, June 25th, I'll be in San Francisco at the First Church on Channing Way in Berkeley. And again, there's the, the links to, and, and this is in collaboration and cooperation with our, with our affiliate in San Francisco, AM 910. And we'll be in San Francisco 7 p.m. at the First Church on the 25th of June. And then on the 28th of June, I'll be at Frugal Muse in the Chestnut Court Shopping Center. That's a bookstore in Darien, actually, Illinois, in collaboration with our station WCPT. On June 29th, Minneapolis at 7 p.m. at Common Good Books, Snelling Avenue in St. Paul, and Friday, July 12th in Philadelphia at Netroots Nation. So that's what's coming up. And if you want any information, if any of that stokes your curiosity, you can check it all out at TomHartman.com. Stephanie Miller here. If you watch 60 Minutes and you own a home, you just got very nervous. I did. The FBI's former head of cybercrimes warned homeowners that foreign and domestic thieves can steal your home and do it all online. That's because home titles and mortgages are kept in databases that can be hacked. If you have equity in your home, here's how they get you. They simply forge their name onto your home's title, use your home as collateral to borrow cash, and stick you with the payments. And no bank or identity theft program protects you. You need Home Title Lock, America's leading title and mortgage guardian. For pennies a day, Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title and mortgage. If cyber thieves tamper with it, we mobilize to help shut it down. You may already be a victim. Here's how to find out. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register for your free title scan and report. $100 value, free with sign-up. Don't let cyber thieves steal your home. Go to HomeTitleLock.com like I did. That's HomeTitleLock.com. One more time, that's HomeTitleLock.com. Tom Harmon here with you. This is mind-boggling. Five municipal public safety invoices have been sent to the Trump campaign. When the Trump campaign comes to town for a rally, and this is all prior to the elections, right? Trump campaign comes to town for a rally. They contract with the local police for security, and they have to pay them. Green Bay, Wisconsin, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, Tucson, Arizona, Burlington, Vermont, and Spokane, Washington have all sent invoices back in 2016, before the election, to the Trump campaign. Trump's refusing to pay them. And now you've got nine other city governments, Mesa, Arizona, Erie, Pennsylvania, and a bunch of others who have invoiced the Trump campaign. A total of $841,000. Trump is stiffing them. He's stiffing them. This is 52 U.S. Code 30121, and then a tip of the hat to the caller who shared this with us earlier. Now, this is the actual United States law that Donald Trump is suggesting that members of Congress routinely violate. No, they don't and that he obviously has been violating since the election and is saying he's going to continue to violate. It shall be unlawful for a foreign national. I said earlier, I wasn't sure if it was a nation or an individual, it's both. A foreign national, directly or indirectly. You know, you can't route it through a lawyer, you can't route it through the Caymans like they are now giving $90 million to Jared Kushner or a billion dollars to Jared Kushner through the Middle East directly or indirectly to make a a contribution or donation of money or other thing of value or to make an express or implied promise to make a contribution or donation in connection with a federal state or local election b 
A contribution or a donation to a committee or a political party. Again, foreign nationals can't do this. C, a foreign national may not make an expenditure, independent expenditure, or disbursement for an electioneering communication. Or, number two, it is unlawful for a foreign national, directly or indirectly, for a person to solicit. It is illegal for a person, now that would be Trump, right? or anybody on his campaign, to solicit, accept, or receive a contribution or donation. And keep in mind, they're talking about anything of value. Hillary Clinton's emails were definitely a thing of value. Or donation described in subparagraph A or B from a foreign national. Amazing. Amazing. Lawrence in St. Paul, Minnesota, listening on AM 950. Lawrence, what's up? Hey, Tom. Called you up maybe back in January or something, talking about uh, how Elaine Chow was mixed up in this whole thing. Yeah, is the primary reason why Mitch McConnell is not doing something. Now it's come to fruition. We see her name being displayed in the media. That's just the fifteen seconds aside. What I really want to say is we've been talking about Trump. You, me, liberal, progressive radio, TV. We've been talking about this guy for two years now. And I vote the question to you. Maybe you can answer it. Who are the biggest violators of the Constitution? Is it Trump or is it the Democrats? I'll say this. In my opinion, the Democrats are the bigger violators of the Constitution. Because you, me, and everybody progressive, we're not going to sit idly by and watch the Constitution be demoralized. And let me tell you something. I hope Nancy Pelosi is listening. I know she listens. The Constitution does not say that you have to have overwhelming evidence to vote for impeachment. The Constitution doesn't say that. It says that it is designed to put a check on the executive branch by the judiciary. It doesn't say anywhere in the Constitution we must have overwhelming evidence. No, it says high crimes and misdemeanors, which is very, very vague. Intentionally vague. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, thank you, Lawrence. No, it's spot on. I mean, you, you nailed it. I wouldn't say that the Democrats are the larger violators of the Constitution, although the Constitution explicitly says, for example, emoluments. You can't make money off foreign governments. Trump is making money off foreign governments as president. You can't do that. It's in the Constitution. This is not even part of the U.S. law. It is the Constitution. He's violating that. And then elsewhere in the Constitution, it says, and if a president commits high crimes and misdemeanors, obviously that's one of them then Congress may impeach him. It doesn't say shall, it says may, but I would say that we need to get this show on the road. Now, to her credit, Nancy Pelosi is pushing for hearings, but Trump is fighting every step of the way. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's the Mueller Report. This is page 91. Although Clovis claimed to have no recollection of attending the TAG summit, Papadopoulos remembered discussing Russia and a foreign policy trip with Clovis and Fares during the event. Papadopoulos' recollection is consistent with emails sent before and after the TAG summit. The pre-summit messages included a July 11, 2016 email in which Fares suggested Papadopoulos the day after the summit to chat and a July 12th message in the same chain which, in which Fares advised Papadopoulos that other summit attendees, quote, are very nervous about Russia, so be aware, end quote. Ten days after the summit, Papadopoulos sent an email to Mifsud listing Fares and Clovis as other participants in a potential meeting at the London Academy of Diplomacy. Finally, Papadopoulos' recollection is also consistent 
with handwritten notes from a journal that he kept at that time. Uh, now we're going to page 92. Those notes, which are reprinted in part below, appear to refer to potential 2016 meetings in London with the representatives of the office of Putin and suggest that Fares, Clovis, and Papadopoulos would attend without the official backing of the campaign. In fact, it says, quote, no official letter, no message from Trump. Later communications indicate that Clovis determined that he, Clovis, could not travel. On August 15, 2016, Papadopoulos emailed Clovis that he had received requests from multiple foreign governments, even Russia, in quotes, for, quote, closed-door workshop consultations abroad, end quote, and, added, and asked whether there was still interest for Clovis, Fares, and Papadopoulos to, quote, go on that trip. Clovis copied Fares in his response, which said he would not travel before the election, but that he would encourage Papadopoulos and Waleed to make the trips if it was feasible. Page 93. Papadopoulos was dismissed from the Trump campaign in early October 2016 after an interview he gave to the Russian news agency Interfax generated adverse publicity. Subtitle F. Trump campaign knowledge of, quote, dirt. Papadopoulos admitted telling at least one individual outside of the campaign, specifically the then Greek foreign minister, about Russia's obtaining Clinton-related emails. In addition, a different foreign government informed the FBI that 10 days after meeting with Mifsud in late April 2016, Papadopoulos suggested that the Trump campaign had received indications from the Russian government that it could assist the Trump campaign through the anonymous release of information that would be damaging to Hillary Clinton. Uh, and then there's a parenthesis. This conversation occurred after the GRU spearfished Clinton campaign chairman John Podesta and stole his emails, and the GRU hacked into the DCCC and DNC. Such dis uh, end of parenthesis. Such disclosures, such disclosures raised questions about whether Papadopoulos informed any Trump campaign official about the emails. When interviewed, Papadopoulos and the campaign officials who interacted with him told the prosecutor's office, the special, special prosecutor's office, that they could not recall Papadopoulos' sharing the information that Russia had obtained dirt on candidate Clinton in the form of emails or that Russia could assist the campaign through the anonymous release of information about Clinton. Papadopoulos stated that he could not clearly recall having told anyone on the campaign and wavered about whether he accurately remembered an incident in which Clovis had been upset after hearing Papadopoulos tell Clovis that Papadopoulos thought, quote, they have her emails. The campaign officials who interacted or corresponded with Papadopoulos have similarly stated with varying degrees of certainty that he did not tell them. Senior policy advisor Stephen Miller, for example, did not remember hearing anything from Papadopoulos or Clovis about Russia having emails of or dirt on candidate Clinton. Clovis stated that he did not recall anyone, including Papadopoulos, having given him non-public information that a foreign government might be in possession of material damaging to Hillary Clinton. And then the rest of page 93 has been redacted by Bill Barr. Page 94. Top part of page 94 is redacted by Bill Barr. Then it continues after the redaction. No documentary evidence and nothing in the email accounts or other communication facilities reviewed by the, by the office, by Mueller's office, shows that Papadopoulos shared this information with the campaign. G, additional George Papadopoulos contact. And that would be presumably contact with Russians. Uh, the office investigated another Russia-related contact with Papadopoulos. The office was not fully able to explore the contact because the individual at issue, Sergei Millian, remained out of the country since the inception of our investigation and declined to meet with members of the office despite our repeated efforts to obtain an interview. 
Papadopoulos first con uh, connected with Millane via LinkedIn on July 15, 2016, shortly after Papadopoulos had attended the TAG summit with Clovis. Millian, an American citizen who is a native of Belarus, introduced himself, quote, as the president of the New York-based Russian-American Chamber of Commerce, end quote, and claimed that through that position he had, quote, insider knowledge and direct access to the top hierarchy in Russian politics, close quote. Papadopoulos asked Timofeev whether he had heard of Millian, although Timofeev said no, Papadopoulos met Millian in, the, in New York City. The meetings took place on July 30 and August 1, 2016. Afterwards, Millian invited Papadopoulos to attend and potentially speak at two international energy conferences, including one that was to be held in Moscow in September of 2016. Papadopoulos ultimately did not attend either conference. It's the Mueller Report. Many investors are asking, how long will this economic bubble last? When the inevitable crash takes place, what will that look like for your retirement? Will you have enough time to rebuild, or are you currently looking for ways to safeguard your existing portfolio? If the worst happens, it won't just be the markets and real estate. With the Fed's nonstop money printing, a dollar collapse is even more concerning. There are simple charts the Federal Reserve provides to help us investors make educated decisions. Google the FRED chart on the purchasing power of the dollar and look at the data yourself. Also take notice that the last 100 years of recessions have consistently occurred within 10 years from each other. The last recession was in 2008. What does that tell you? Gold and silver are statistically the best hedge against volatile markets and economies. Call my friends at ITM Trading at 1-888-OWN-GOLD. Ask them for their free gold protection guide and protect your future while you still can. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-OWN-GOLD. So would you like to watch the Tom Harbin program? All three hours of our program, anytime you'd like. Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Tom Hartman, T-H-O-M-H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, all run together. When you become a supporter of the program through Patreon, you have access to the full three-hour show anytime you want and special content that we put up every single week that is unique specifically to our Patreon page. So check it out, Patreon.com slash Tom Hartman. Thank you. Justin Amash is the one Republican who has actually apparently read the Mueller report, or at least the one Republican who's willing to say that he has read the Mueller report, and as a consequence of having read it, is saying Donald Trump should be impeached. This report lists at least 10 instances of clear criminal obstruction of justice, not to mention other crimes. And so Donald Trump Jr. has announced that he's coming to Michigan to campaign against uh, Justin Amash in the primary. A guy named Jim Lauer has declared his candidacy. He's going to be running against Justin Amash in the, in the Michigan primary. So I say to my fellow Michiganders, Justin Amash politically represents, certainly in the area of economics, pretty much everything that I'm opposed to. He's a libertarian. I'm a liberal. I mean, you know, it's like, and yet, here's a man who was willing to stand up for his principles. We have people in the Democratic Party who aren't yet willing to stand up for their principles. Justin Amash is a man of great courage. I tip my hat to him, and we'll see how this shakes out, and maybe you're going to get a crazy Republican who wins the primary, and then that'll make it easier for a Democrat to win. I don't know. 
or something else. But we'll, we'll see where it goes and, and how it shakes out. But just thought you'd want to know. Jeff in Portland, Oregon, listening on X-Ray FM. Hey, Jeff, what's up? Yeah, as you've been saying, this guy's trying to inflict fascism on us. And so I just want to add, and this isn't meant to be overly inflammatory, but just to honestly wonder if Nancy Pelosi is going to go down in history as a Neville Chamberlain or a Winston Churchill. Well, we'll uh, see. I, you know, yeah. I, there, there is, I, you know, there are people. I, I was talking with a Democratic consultant maybe three or four weeks ago. He works with the Democratic Party. And his point to me was, yes, we have to have impeachment hearings. But the odds of Donald Trump actually getting removed from office are pretty much zero. And so the impeachment should be used. Now, keep in mind, this is a purely political lens that he's looking through, that the impeachment should be used to prevent Donald Trump from getting reelected. And if that's the case, you don't want those hearings in, in 2019. You want those hearings in 2020 leading up to the election so that his crimes and, 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 and the horrors of what he's done in office are fresh in people's minds when they go to vote. Because anything that happens a year and a half before the election generally has very little impact on the election. So maybe she's, you know, the smartest knife in the drawer. I mean, maybe she's looking at this. I don't know how, what she's doing or how she's doing it, but I'm not yet willing to criticize her, Jeff. Okay, I'll go beyond that. Thank you for that. Phew. What a day, huh? Daniel in Dadeville, Alabama. Hey, Daniel, what's on your mind today? It's sitting here, and we all agree that Trump should be impeached, but the question came up, and we don't have the answer. So I said, let me call my brain here. Uh, if Trump is impeached uh, before the 2020 election, can he run after he's impeached or run for the 2024 election? That's a damn good question, Daniel. I don't know the answer to that. That's something we'd have to ask Lawrence Tribe or some other constitutional law scholar. Um, in all probability, it's, you know, it's a question that has, well, obviously, no president has ever been impeached, so it's a question that we've never had to encounter, so it's never been uh, you know, ruled on by the Supreme Court. I just don't know. But that's a, a scenario that's not impossible, although I'm guessing that if he is impeached, it'll be because enough Americans realize that the guy's a grifter and a criminal and a con man and not even a billionaire. And therefore, they probably wouldn't reelect him if he tried. But God only knows. That's an amazing one. Daniel, thank you for that. Whew. Um, David in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. What's on your mind, David? Hey, thanks for taking my call, Tom. Sure. On Twitter today, I found a video posted by an election integrity attorney named Jennifer Cohn, mm -hmm. C-O-H-N. Yes, I'm familiar she with her. She's really good. Yeah, she explains why Mitch McConnell's blocking legislation. There's one company, ES&S, who makes 44% of all the electronic voting machines in the country. And they've come up with a system that gives the veneer of a paper backup. But really, it has no transparency. It's completely opaque. And it's going into service. It's, it's been in New York since 2018. And it's being promoted all over. And in, in effect, Senator Wyden's legislation would prevent this. Right. And that's why he's blocking any kind of security legislation for our elections. I believe, personally, that... All the politicians know about this. Yeah, ES&S was started by two brothers, Todd and I forget the other one's name, Yurosevich, I believe was their last name. And they were Christian end times believers. 
in 2002, I think that was the end of democracy, personally. Yeah. I think our elections have been rigged since then, and all we have left now is the veneer of democracy. Yeah, it's, it's pretty I grim, and we've, that got, that and we've got to work on that. David, thank you. Mike in Palatine, Illinois. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, Tom, because Nancy Pelosi's non-action, Trump could easily take the election in 2020. She is, she is not doing non-action. She is, she is setting up these, I mean, she hasn't called it an impeachment inquiry. I think she should, but she is trying to get these investigations going. It's just that Trump is stonewalling all of the potential witnesses. But she could at least start an inquiry, which would open the legal floodgates, and she could get the documents she needs and the witnesses that they need. I, I would hope so. I would hope so. And I, and I think that all of this obstruction of the just routine efforts to hold oversight. I mean, you know, when, when, when the Republicans were holding their Benghazi hearings, Obama gave them everything they wanted. Hillary Clinton testified for 11 hours straight. I mean, you know, and the Republicans are such, they're such, you know, weak little uh, snowflakes, these, these uh, Republicans. Oh, you know, we can't testify in open court, says Don Jr., right? I can't testify in open court. I'm sorry. I don't want to be embarrassed. Give me a break. Jenny in Clio, Michigan. Hey, Jenny, what's on your mind today? What's concerning me is they're making laws now that we have to follow. They're breaking rule of law, traditional, making laws that we are having to follow all over the place. And also, they've got troops on the border. That's the biggie. They've got troops, our troops on the border. And on the Mexican put, Yes. And we got our troops there already. He's sending troops to, I believe, Honduras so they can't come out of the country. And so what concerns me is we're chasing rabbits while over there. That's a convenient, I hate to say that, way for them to set up a confrontation where he could possibly delay the elections. I, I'm, mm. I'm beginning to think the election is the biggie, the date of it, or some way machinating this, especially when you mentioned Brett Kavanaugh and the law he passed in 2000. You know, I mean, it's just there's a lot of this that is really concerning that way. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I get your concern, Jenny, and I share it. I mean, this is basically what we saw happen in both Italy, Germany and Spain. Now, all three countries, uh, you know, when the right winger, the hardcore right wingers took over, they, they ended the elections or they or they rigged right. them over the short term. Yeah. But but and, and, and thank you for the call, Jenny. But I you know, we had a civil war. We had a bunch of states secede from the Union and declare war against the North or, or you know, arguably the North declared war against the South or whatever, you know, however it worked out. Um, I realize that's still a subject of some debate, but we had a civil war in the United States and Abraham Lincoln did not suspend the elections of, you know, 1862 or 1864. Uh, he did not change the elections. They continued. They went right straight forward. Um, you know, we were through World War One, World War Two. These were major crises in World War Two. You know, uh, millions of American men were not even in this country any longer. They were overseas um, and we we didn't suspend the election. So I'm not I'm not so worried about that. But, you know, that's but there's a long list of other things. I am D in Bellevue, Washington. Hey, D, what's up? I just want to say, remember when the Republicans had everyone sign this pledge to support the Republican nominee, and that's putting party over country, yes. as well as that pledge to make uh, Obama, President Obama, a one-term president? Yeah. And the, and the last thing would be, um, please note, the tax cut, permanent for the 1%, um, um, not permanent 
for the 99%, which ends in December 31, 2025. You're right. So what happens to everyone's taxes when the, when the 1% has a permanent tax cut, but the 99% doesn't? What happens after that day, the first, the first 2026? Will the Republicans be out of office? Will be in so much debt, no money is coming in? And then uh, there's so many things that's happening. Yeah. And, and it's hate and fear that blinds us to it. As long as it's not the other, then I'm going to follow this. Uh, we're making him a tyrant. Yeah, no, he's um, making him a tyrant. We're, we're watching it happen and, you know, in slack jaw amazement. And you're absolutely right about the tax cuts and the way it'll play out. You know, Reagan raised the retirement age for Social Security from 65 to 67, but he did it back in 1982, so it wouldn't take effect until 2020 or 2016, I guess it was. So he was never blamed for it when it happened. And I'm telling you, in 2025, when the taxes go up on working people, they're not going to remember that this was Trump. D, thanks for the call. Teresa in Riverside, California. Hey, Teresa, what's on your mind today? I feel bad for Nancy Pelosi because Ms. Pelosi is trying to keep a lid on everything. But can you give me some reassurance here? Probably not, but can you just kind of to make us feel pretty doggone good about the fact that we still have Social Security, hopefully to keep it, Medicare, we hope to keep that. Now, my biggest problem is that how are we going to get rid of that Republican Party? How are we going to get them? them senators out of there that we know taking money firsthand. How are we going to get rid of them, Mr. Mr. Hartman? Tell me how we get rid of these people. We do it, Teresa, by waking people up. This is why, you know, one of the things in the fundraising pitches when I do them for Free Speech TV and for a lot of our nonprofit stations and, and you know, our, our for-profit stations as well, station promotions and things, I say, please tell your friends about this station. Please tell your friends how you are watching or listening to this program. Please share it with as many people as possible. And of course, take my information, you know, just, you know, whatever talking points you learn from me, use those and, and talk to your friends, to, you know, at work, uh, your neighbors, your acquaintances. Teresa, the only way that we're going to pull this off is education. We have to wake up the American populace. And as long as people are just getting this pablum fed to them by the corporate media and the lies fed to them on a daily basis by Donald Trump and Kellyanne Conway and Sarah Sanders, as long as that continues without anybody pushing back on it, we're going to be looking at another four years of Donald Trump. So I don't know of another way. You know, if there's a protest or demonstration in your town, yeah, join it. If you're the local Democratic Party in your community, and pretty much every community has one, join it and do what you can. Obviously, those things, and not everybody can get out and do that. You know, some people are disabled or it's difficult or they got to work a lot. But the easy thing to do is sharing the information with other people. Does that make sense, Teresa? You know, not only does it make sense, sir, before I go, I just want to tell you that as people, Listen to Mr. Hartman. He's trying to tell you, pay attention. That's why your show is very important. Not only that, Mr. Hartman, if we don't start paying attention, all the people that were sending all this money to re-erect this, uh, what they call it, this border, whatever they yeah. want to call it, this fence, they got jerked out of $23 million. Do you know what that money could have went for? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it could have. It's it could have paid for your TV time forever. Yeah. It's, yeah, absolutely. And well, don't get me wrong. Look at the $25 million in fines that Donald Trump paid for running a scam university. Trump University was a fraud. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, spot on. Teresa, I got to run. I want to get a couple more callers in here before the end of the show. But thank you so much. It's great to hear from you. All right. Greg in Atwood, Kansas. Hey, Greg, what's up? 
I actually have a different view on how Nancy Pelosi is moving forward with the impeachment hearings. I think she's looking at some of the polling data from places that Democrats flipped from Republicans in the last election. Do you think she's afraid if they move too fast in areas where impeachment isn't as prominent as places like New York and California, we may lose those seats that we just picked up? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, this is the problem that Nancy Pelosi is dealing with, is if it looks like an impeachment inquiry or an impeachment effort is purely political, simply trying to reverse the outcome of of the 2016 election because we don't like the results, if that's how people perceive it, they're going to turn on the Democrats. It's going to hurt the Democrats more than it'll hurt the Republicans. And that's why, you know, she has to do what Sam Irvin did back in the 70s with Richard Nixon. When he started those hearings, those Watergate hearings in the spring of 1974, or maybe it was late 73, when he started those hearings, support for impeachment of Richard Nixon was at 17%. Six months later, after six months of the American people, day after day on TV and live public hearings, not behind closed doors hearings, day after day, public support for impeachment reached 67 percent. And that was the point at which the Republican Barry Goldwater went over to the White House and sat down with Richard Nixon and said, sir, you've got to go because we cannot take the force of this. We're going to have to vote to impeach you. And Richard Nixon resigned. She thinks we're too close to the 2020 election to push that. No, I don't think that that's part of her equation at all, although I haven't talked to Nancy Pelosi in probably 10 years, so I don't know what she's thinking, and I wouldn't uh, try to assume what she's thinking, but I believe, based on what she's said and what people around her have said, that she's more concerned with the rule of law. She's more concerned with Americans knowing how corrupt the Trump crime family is and, and revealing that in a way that enough Americans get it that they're not going to think when she moves into the impeachment phase that this is purely being done for political purposes, but rather that it's being done to try to save the republic. Because I'm telling you, our republic is at risk right now. Greg, thanks a lot for the call. Very thoughtful question. In fact, thank you all. We've had a bunch of great callers today, and I hope these topics have been of value to you, in particular, you know, discovering what Brett Kavanaugh did to make it legal for foreign governments to mess in our elections. Oh, my God. And this guy's on the Supreme Court. Anyhow, we'll be back same time, same place, with more information to help you win the water cooler wars, the place where despair is not an option, right here on the Tom Hartman program. Check out our book tour. It's at the top of TomHartman.com. And tonight on HBO for free. You don't have to be a subscriber. HBO Now, HBO Go. You can check out our new movie, Ice on Fire. So get out there, get active, tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 